Welcome to this Stroke Journey podcast, brought to you by the National Stroke Education Center at the University of Cincinnati, your premier source for comprehensive diagnostic and therapeutic stroke education from the pre-hospital and emergency settings through the ICU and rehabilitation. Please welcome today's host, Dr. Jordan Bonomo. Hello, and welcome to this recording of the National Stroke Education Center. I'm Jordan Bonomo, an emergency medicine physician and neurointensivist at the University of Cincinnati, and I'm joined by two of my colleagues, Dr. Stacy Demmel and Aaron Grossman, both of whom are neurologists, both of whom are outstanding stroke physicians, one of whom is a neurointerventionalist as well, and we can talk to them a bit about that during this podcast. I'm excited to have you both here. Thanks for joining us. I got to tell you, it's a little bit intimidating. There are five terminal degrees at this table, and I only have one. I'm looking at a DO-PhD to my right in Dr. Demmel and an MD-PhD over there in Dr. Grossman, and that excites me. It's great to be outmatched in one of these, and we're going to get to talk about some complicated stuff around stroke. Here's where I want to start. When you have patients with a history of DVT or PE or atrial fibrillation who are on anticoagulation for their baseline disorder, they have stroke sometimes. You have to decide when it's safe to restart that anticoagulation. And we know there's lots of kinds of strokes. There's little ones, there's big ones, there's ischemics, there's ICHs. When you're seeing one of these patients, can you talk to me about how you consider when it's safe, reasonable, and right to restart anticoagulation in them? Because you guys make these hard decisions all the time. As a neurointensivist, I just get to hand them to you prior to discharge, and then you have to make the hard call. What do you do? Generally, what you're referring to are people who have indication for anticoagulation and then a hemorrhagic complication in the brain. The bad news is there haven't been any randomized controlled trials to tell us what to do, so it is a complicated answer. Um, and I think you have to take a lot of characteristics into account, uh, some of which include where the hemorrhage is and how big it is, how the patient is doing clinically, and what the primary indication for the anticoagulation was to begin with. For example, if the patient was on anticoagulation for a fib, that might be a little bit different than a patient who was on anticoagulation for a mechanical valve replacement. So short of there being any uh, trial evidence to tell us what to do, um, there's lots of retrospective studies that we can refer to, none of which are perfect and um, in themselves have a lot of biases. But um, I take all those things into account, and I think the best data that we have right now suggests that for most people, restarting anticoagulation is something we should do, and it comes down to what we're going to start or restart and when to do it, and I think that's probably even the tougher question. Well, let's start with the non-valvular AFib patient, right? I think they make up the bulk of the patients that we talk about and get consulted on. So you said that in someone with um, AFib uh, who had hemorrhagic stroke of any kind, let's just say it's not a primary ICH, let's say it's a, an acute ischemic stroke with hemorrhagic transformation, you said the location matters. Where do you get scared? Where, where in the brain are you thinking, I don't, I don't feel good about restarting it even though I feel like I have to? Yeah, I think um, I am most worried about those with uh, bleeds on the outside of the brain or lobar hemorrhages uh, because those are often associated with underlying blood vessel issues, specifically cerebral amyloid angiopathy. And those are the patients who are most likely to have re-bleeds with or without anticoagulation. So those are the most worrisome to me. It's funny, I thought you were going to say deep structures, like, like the brainstem or something like that, but you, uh, you went low bar on me. Dr. Grossman, what about you? 
Yeah, I totally agree. There are some patients who we would probably not restart anticoagulation for, those being the lobar hemorrhages. And then patients uh, with deeper hemorrhages, you know, we really need to think twice as to whether that's that's necessary uh, to, to restart anticoagulation for those patients either. All right. So as, as in, I'm going to play ER doc right now, right? So I'm, I'm sitting there in the emergency department and I'm looking at a patient who has an acute stroke in front of me and they have non-valvular AFib and someone took them off their anticoagulation. I'm like, why'd you take them off their anticoagulation? Everybody knows those patients are going to stroke, but you just said that it might not be worth restarting sometimes. Let's just talk about the overall risk of stroke with, with AFib and not anticoagulating. Does that concern you guys? Like, how do you think about that on a day-to-day risk assessment in your patient? Well, there are two big risk stratification scores that we use and kind of compare the two of them uh, when we think about restarting anticoagulation in those patients. So one is called the CHADS-VASC score that assesses the risk of stroke in patients, of ischemic stroke in patients who have, uh, an, who have uh, AFib. And the other is the HASBLED score, which reflects the risk of hemorrhage uh, in patients who uh, you're thinking of starting anticoagulation for. And as the numbers go up uh, in both of those scores, the risk of trouble goes up. So you could think of it as sort of a, a, a two by two matrix, you know, low risk, high risk, low risk, high risk. And uh, in patients who have a low risk of ischemic stroke, but a high risk of recurrent hemorrhage, it probably doesn't make sense to restart anticoagulation for those patients. Conversely, if a patient has a high risk of a recurrent stroke, of ischemic stroke uh, from their AFib, but a low risk of hemorrhage, probably makes sense to restart that that, uh, patient's uh, anticoagulation. We have some data to suggest that that their their quality of life, uh, their qualities, quality of life score, um, actually uh, benefits from restarting anticoagulation in those patients. And it's the other two boxes of the matrix that it makes it really hard, right? High risk of hemorrhage, high risk of stroke, most people would try to avoid the recurrent hemorrhage if they can because it's something we are giving to them that's causing trouble rather than something that we are withholding and kind of rolling the dice. Doing no harm first. That sounds familiar. All right. That sounds like a tough patient population, actually. And they're probably not rare in your practice. I'm assuming you're consulted on these all the time. So what about patients who have, let's say, a history of DVT and PE and they're on an anticoagulant, Let, let's say that they're on uh, a DOAC, and then they have an ICH as a result of it. Let's say it's small, they're going to be functional, they're going to be okay. Um, and someone says to you, hey, neurology, we need your help here. Is it safe to restart anticoagulation in these patients? Like he had a history of a DVTP. It was kind of a big one, actually. Um, we'd really like to restart it, but is his brain going to explode into a big ball of blood? How do you handle those? Are we, are we back to the has blood score or are we doing something different? A lot of has blood score, and and in this case, you know, I like to talk to the the folks who put in IVC filters and talk about, you know, what's the what's the overall risk of of putting in the I, you know, let's think about how many days if we were going to restart anticoagulation, how many days we would want to wait, and does it make sense to put in an IVC filter for the period of time when we're waiting? What's the the periprocedural risk of putting it in and taking it out, cumulative risk, and really have a a frank conversation with the family about all of those risks? Yeah, the only thing I would add, and this doesn't exactly uh, fall in line with DVT and PEs, but back to that high risk of bleeding and high risk of ischemic stroke from AFib category, we haven't touched upon 
the possibility of closure devices for like left atrial appendage closure devices or maze procedures that can lower the risk of ischemic stroke with a procedure and then can um, and then the patient doesn't need to be on long-term anticoagulation for ischemic stroke prevention. So that's the other thing that might be taken into consideration for that high-risk population. Yeah, so use a device and, and obviate the discussion a little bit. Right. Oh, that sounds great. I actually like that. So it's an elegant answer, right? You don't have to answer the hard question because you use a device instead. I'm, I'm a fan. So let's say you've got a stroke patient. They have AFib. Um, it's a moderate-sized stroke. You're on day two. They're still having paroxysmal AFib in the ICU. Um, and you're, you're like, I, this person probably needs to have anticoagulation we started, right? They got the, the echoes done, there's nothing floating around in that uh, left atrium ventricle that you're super concerned about, but you're like, hey, this is, the, this is the stroke patient, right? When, when do you restart? How do you decide that? Most of the societies, the cardiology societies, are, are giving uh, advice to start somewhere between four and 10 days after the ischemic stroke to restart anticoagulation. Some of the societies parse it out a little bit more, uh, shorter for small strokes, longer for big strokes. You can also look in, at, at your MRI or your CT scan and see if there's hemorrhagic transformation in there. I try to, uh, I try to wait a little bit longer. Um, for patients who've had anti, you know, hemorrhagic transformation, and and the patient population that you're describing, or the cardiac uh, issues that you mentioned about having a clot in the in the left atrium or clot in the left ventricle, those are real issues that come up quite frequently. So, so we really need to see whether there's something pushing us towards early restarting of anticoagulation, like the the uh, mechanical valve or or a clot in the heart, uh, versus something that's pushing us towards uh, delay a little bit and so you kind of got to weigh all those tip your head a little bit squint your eyes and say all right here we go did you lick your thumb to yeah. I mean pre-COVID at least yeah. you got to lick the thumb and throw some grass in the yeah. air all right I think the other thing you can do is instead of jumping to a NOAC which is generally our what we consider our safest bet is to start with a heparin drip something that we can titrate something that is easily stopped and reversed and so in patients where they have maybe a high risk of hemorrhagic transformation after an ischemic stroke, but they also have a left ventricular thrombus or mechanical mitral valve, then those are the patients I might consider keeping in the hospital a little bit longer, keeping an eye on them and, and starting on a heparin drip. Dr. Demel, do you re-image those patients once they're therapeutic on their heparin drip or right before starting a, the, the uh, definitive uh, oral anticoagulation? Some people do, some people don't. Yeah, I generally do. I've tended not to, for no reason. <laughs> I definitely scan them once they're therapeutic. But the thing I love about the you know, neurodose heparin when we're worried about bleeding is we use low dose, no bolus. It's the slow boat to nowhere heparin, right? It takes three days to even have a registered anti-10A that's uh, even close to therapeutic. So um, you have a lot of time to, to monitor those patients clinically. You threw a curveball in at me, Aaron. I really liked it. You said that you'll CT or MRI them. And if there's hemorrhagic transformation, then you'll think about delaying. So lots of times I look at a CT and I don't see anything. And then the MRI comes back and that gradient sequence has got a bunch of black stuff in it that I didn't anticipate seeing. It's there. I can't see it on the CT. They're done a few hours apart, but you can see it on the MRI. Is it really there? Like, how do you determine? Because are you going to MRI everybody or are you going to just MRI the ones that feel weird? Like, how do you decide? Medical legally, it's really there, right? If you don't see it on the CT scan, but it's there on the, on the MR, it gets listed in the chart as a hem as hemorrhagic staining within your stroke, and and I think it's important to take that into account. So it's important. So even if you can't see it on CT, but it's visible on MR, but it's small, but it's there. It's it's not like the bear in the woods, right? We actually do care at this point that it's present. I care in the setting of of a large of a large infarct.
And a large infarct, right? I mean, if it's a smaller infarct with a little bit of petechial staining, probably will 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 hedge toward uh, toward starting a little bit earlier. All right, and this is exactly where I wanted to get in this conversation. We're like we're deep in the weeds now. We're talking about a little petechial staining and a small stroke. Let me ask you guys a question. You see a billion strokes a year, give or take, right? Maybe maybe a few less. You've said large and you've said small. What do you use as your thumb measure for large and small? Dr. Demmel, where do you break it out? Large ischemic stroke for me are those that are generally like a large vessel occlusion territory. So whether it's a middle cerebral artery or a posterior cerebral artery, if it's a if it's a large vessel territory, then I usually consider that either moderate or large. So we've wiped out the whole territory. That's large. I mean, a, a, a full M1 occlusion with a wipeout, like that's a that's a large that's stroke. I think we large. can all agree, right? Right. And and when I talk to patients, I actually talk in these words. I say, this is small, this is medium, this is large. Right. Um, small strokes are uh, generally lacunar territories or maybe a bit bigger. Um, so that means two centimeters in size. Those are small. And then the mediums incorporate everything in between. Dr. Grossman, you concur? I concur. All right. Because it seems like that would be, an, it's an important factor that you both discuss, large versus small. I don't, I mean, I, I don't know in my readings, I've never seen a, a milliliter description of large versus small that uh, that we at least use in research. I, I don't know if that exists. Maybe it does in, in perfusion trialing, but I've never come across it. No, it's an interesting question. There are some uh, trials right now, um, at least uh, looking at restarting anticoagulation after ICH. And I think we're going to get a lot more well-defined information when these trials are finished and maybe we'll have some more answers. That'd be great because this feels like a data-free zone right now and restarting after ICH, right? It's literally roll the dice and hope for the best. All right, well, let's let's uh, move forward on down the care pathway a little bit. You've decided that you're going to restart anticoagulation in one of these patients. Um, they were lucky enough to be cared for by you guys. They've recovered fully. They're on their way home with their family members. What do you tell the family members to, to look for when they're discharged? I think it's really important to start that conversation with with all the risks of of embarking upon this decision, right? The the and those risks. Uh, just to step back a little bit, those risks are present in the hospital too, because one of the things that that we find commonly is that patients who are sitting in the hospital with a stroke, waiting for their anticoagulation to uh, to to be initiated or reinitiated, are at high risk of recurrent stroke, and that's one of the most frustrating things for patients' families. As these patients are sitting here, they're supposed to be in our care. We're supposed to be preventing trouble, and here they go having another stroke in the hospital because we kept them off their anticoagulation uh, for for you know that four to ten days before restarting. So I think the conversations with families really need to start on day one. They're here. This is an incredibly high-risk time period of their uh, hospital course and 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 post-stroke course, um, and and we need to embark upon this risk together. Once they're discharged, um, then you know it's not just the intracerebral hemorrhage and the stroke symptoms that we go over every time someone's discharged, but it's all the extracranial bleeding that we need to know about too. Like the other parts of the body that still matter, because there are a few, right? I mean, the brain clearly dominates, but there are others that matter. So we're talking GI bleeds, hematemesis, that that sort of stuff. Um, Epistaxis. Do you do you caution them like, hey, Miss Jones, maybe it's time to not ride a bike anymore, or do you let them go? What are you telling about like lifestyle choice? Probably would say no to the motorcycles because that's always a bad idea, right? No contact sports. Do you do you let them ski? I've never told someone they can't ski. I have to be honest. Okay. Uh, but maybe I should have. What about biking? 
Maybe let him go. I mentioned rock climbing for no real reason. Yeah. But there's lots of other things that that are equally dangerous that we do on, a, on an everyday basis and they're probably more within the wheelhouse of our patient population. But most of these patients are older. They're not worried about that stuff quite yet. They just need to get through the initial rehab phase. So golf is probably okay. You can probably go bowling. Mixed martial arts, no joy. Probably not. Probably not. All right, it's fair. We, we really agree on something. Yeah. Awesome. Well, in context of our conversation today, restarting anticoagulation, this particular patient group, discharge instructions, any parting uh, thoughts for our listeners today? I think as Dr. Demo said, there's going to be a lot more data that comes out. I mean, there's four or five uh, randomized trials that are that are uh, enrolling currently that help us understand, you know, really uh, understand timing of reinitiation of, of anticoagulation after acute ischemic stroke in that population, and then timing of reinitiation of, of anticoagulation within the ICH population. And, and, and we'll just keep our eyes out for the results of those trials. And, and probably they'll suggest that, you know, those who who get restarted on anticoagulation have more hemorrhages and those who don't have more strokes. And we'll just have to see which way the pendulum swings. Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, the other thing I like to talk about in addition to no mixed martial arts um, is to keep blood pressure under control because that actually is uh, one risk factor that is under our control. We can't control aging. We can't control prior hemorrhage or stroke or AFib as easily, but we can control um, high blood pressure, and that's the number one risk factor for primary and recurrent um, ICH. So that's also something I talk about with my patients. I think that's a really good parting thought, Dr. Demel. Thank you. Dr. Grossman, Dr. Demel, you both mentioned there are about five trials that are worth talking about in the pipeline. You know what that means for me? That means we get a reunion in about a year when they're all published. Thank you so much for spending the time with us. To our listeners, thank you for joining us. This has been a recording of the National Stroke Education Center. Thanks for listening today. This Stroke Journey podcast is a collaboration between the National Stroke Education Center, MCRAIG International, and MedEd On The Go. For more comprehensive, high-quality educational resources for healthcare professionals, please visit strokejourney.com.